Hey everybody, it's Jacob from Open Micers. You are actually listening to my girlfriend's aunt's favorite podcast. I know it's a very huge award milestone for us. Um, so please head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash ompodcast to give us a few bucks every month because now if our podcast goes bankrupt, I'm going to be in so much trouble, guys. I am going to be sleeping on couches for the rest of my life. I'm never going to live it down. Don't you already sleep on couches as of now? Well, that's not, that's beside the point. But please go to patreon.com slash ompodcast and pick a tier so that I don't shed mine. Music means it's Thursday night, and it's time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig, and Please our guest introduce tonight, our fantastic guest tonight. Oh, I will. I will introduce our guest tonight. He is a record producer who has worked with the likes of Black Sabbath, Tina Turner, The Muppets, so many in the name. We're we're going to talk about it all. Please welcome John Velasco. To the podcast tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Good to meet you guys. And after that introduction, what can I say? <laughs> so you worked with the Muppets. You worked with the Muppets. Well, with, Se- with Sesame Street, actually. And ah. uh, actually, I'm I'm really a publisher and producer more than anything. But uh, now, my late partner Joe Raposo uh, created Sesame Street, basically with a few others, with Jim Henson. And he, for 20 years, he wrote all the music for it. Wow. Um, and he used to say that you know, the day I die. It's going to take 10 people to replace him. And guess what? They think they've got 10 or 12 now. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, no, he was tremendous because his whole thing, he used to always say, God forbid the kids ever know I'm teaching them anything. Yeah. Which is really a great idea. And all the songs, whether it was, you know, being green or after everything was a lesson. Yeah, I so had, was, you know, I had of all of those Sesame Street records when I was a little kid. Um, all of them on vinyl, too. I had all the... Yeah. All the colored stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, I even had um, an eight track of a uh, Saturday Night Grover, I think it was, or something like that. <laughs> it was very, you know, I was working with a bunch of kids stuff, and uh, we were very lucky. I was working with Joe as well, and uh, the company that I've been working on Care Bears with was the uh, Parker Brothers, and they just mm-hmm. called me one day and they said, "Don't you have that, something to do with Sesame Street?" I said, "Yeah," and they said, "Well." We own Sesame Street Records. Would you like it? Sure. <laughs> so, and they didn't know what to do with it. We went, thank you. So then we had the publishing and the records for a while. So that was quite nice. So you were the head of uh, Allied Artist. Um, it was Allied Artist Music Group, which back from 71 to 99. Uh, United Artists. Uh, you, oh, with United Artists? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Allied Artists, actually, I am involved with now, but it was United Artists back then. Oh, okay, United Artists. Yeah, so, wow, let me look up that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've got very lucky being in the right place at the right time, really, and a lot of this stuff, and uh, we had a lot of fun there. So that was from, let me pull up the Wikipedia page no, here. please don't. <laughs> <laughs> That makes me feel really old. <laughs> so that was from uh, 57 to 78. And then uh, EMI, 78 to 80. Who's and, that? He- um, was that? That's the United Artists records. 
Oh yeah, no, you, yeah. United Artists Records was huge at the time, and uh, and I was United Artists Publishing. Don't forget. Okay. So I ran United Artists Music. Wow. We're in the same that. building, and it was lots of fun because we had you know James Bond and all that good stuff going on. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's where I got um, that little band ABBA and ELO. <laughs> So tell us so, about it, some of those was, bands that you got to work with. Some of the the huge bands, like like you said, ELO. Uh, you yeah. work with Tina Turner, uh, Moody Blues, Black Sabbath. Please tell me you have some Black yeah. Sabbath stories for me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very tough to tell any of them on the air. But uh, no, I, I'll tell you one funny story is that they stayed at the house when I was in L.A. one day. And I got back. And it had been one of the guy's birthday. I don't forget who it was. And Ozzy had chased him around the house with a can of blue spray paint. <laughs> and that was a pretty exciting thing to get rid of for a few days. But uh, no, like, ever, I mean, it was just like being in the right place at the right time. I loved what they were doing. We signed them. And it was the Eurovision Song Contest coming up, which in Europe, if you don't know, is the contest. If you win Eurovision, which it really includes Israel, a lot of other countries as well, not just Europe. But that's it, you're a star for life. And I, I loved the music, but it was so unlike anything else that anyone had ever done. And so I knew we weren't going to win, but I just liked the record. Yeah. So, so uh, the day I actually of the show was sitting there and uh, someone, I'm talk, looking backwards, talking to someone. And what they do is all the countries in turn at the end of the show vote. They have panels and they all vote. And the guy says to me, I can't believe you're so far ahead. And I was just, I knew he was joking. And of course, I looked around and I had to get my assistant to rush out and uh, get a place for a reception because I was just going to go for dinner. So it was, uh, and that was really the start of them. And I used to go over each month and meet with Stig Anderson, who was their manager, and just look, see all their new stuff as it came out. But it, uh, so again, it was just a really lucky thing that just happened when it shouldn't have happened, really. It yeah. was fantastic. And again, you know, Jeff Lynn, I mean, ELO were just, Fabulous. A few years later, I tried to almost put them together with Kelly, Kelly Kruger, and we called them orchestra with a K, but it never worked. <laughs> I think we got them in one movie, and that was it, because Jeff wasn't part of it, and of course, he's an amazing writer. So how did you become involved with, uh, with basically the, the music industry, uh, being a record producer? Like how, what was, was your start in that? Very, very weird. I was in the theater. And uh, not on the stage as a uh, stage manager. And eventually, in like two very quick leaps, uh, I was at Drury Lane in London, which is you've got nowhere else to go. And the, the guy, Sir Bernard Delphont, who owned the place, made the mistake of saying one day, you're going to be with us forever. And I went, mm, I don't think so. I was looking at the old guys around. And I went to the PR company, Carons, that was doing it. And I said, you need a PR executive. And they said, who do you know? I said, it's me. And luckily enough, they took me on and I was looking over to Peter Sellers, John Collins. I mean, a stack of people that were incredible, even Barbara Streisand, Sammy Davis Jr. And they were, you know, I was telling stories for them, taking them out. Anyway, one day someone calls from America and said, there's a young songwriter coming to town. I'd love you to meet him. And it was Jimmy Webb. And he and I really got on and it was like, let's do a company. So it was him and his dad. And a girl called Patty and the Canopy was the company. And, you know, from that point on, just I just love the industry because I'm watching him compose and silly things happening that, uh, you know, like doing um, El MacArthur Park. 
and everyone's laughing because how can you put you that is three minute singles and it's someone that can't sing and we go to number one all over the world so it was but it was just really realizing i'm the worst musician in the world i mean i play the guitar badly i play piano with one hand so it's really i live vicariously through really real talented people so it's uh yeah so that's it really i'm just riding on their coattails and uh just really enjoying it and it's uh, it's just it just grew from there. So, so basically what you're saying is if you can't play well, become a producer. Yeah, no, a publisher <laughs> is the key. Because <laughs> the publisher is the one that has the songs and works with the writers. Yeah. And I love the writers more than the artists. So, yeah, I yeah. produce stuff as well. But I really, I mean, publishing is really where all the music money is in the industry. And it's really the base of everything. Everything you do has music behind it. So, so it gives you a lot more range to move in. Are you still uh, in the publishing industry or? or... Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, publishing and uh, film and TV, we uh, really right across the board. But whatever I do, it's got music at the bottom. You know, like I'm talking about a biography of a famous uh, musician right now. And again, it's all about music and bringing on new artists. I, I would never really sign an art of work unless they were a writer. Yeah, because uh, it's uh, like I said, there's so many incredible writers out there and you take one song and it can be done so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that uh, someone I've managed for 40 years, Randy Edelman. I mean, he was a songwriter to begin with. He wrote um, Weekend in New England that Manolo made a big hit of and other stuff, then moved into movies. He's done over 300 movies now from The Mask, Cousin Vinny to the huge ones and uh, Edisburg and but it's people take his songs and switch them. I mean, one of the songs he wrote was a beautiful ballad and then it became a hip hop song and won an award. And so that's what the fun thing is being a publisher is the, the different usages you can do. I mean, you do a record, that's fine. And you can, people can copy it Yeah. with a song. You can move it around. Right. And do you think that's something that's missing in the music industry today? Because a lot of the biggest stars that we have don't even really write their own music. They, they hire writers and everything. And I mean, yeah, it, and the, the strange thing is they put their names on the songs as well. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, they sort of, you know, I guess it seems kind of sacred for a, a, a musician to write their own music and, you know, all of that, but it's now it's, it's almost entirely gone. I would say 80% of the hugest artists today don't even write their own music. Yeah, it's uh, and there's a lot of you know there's a whole lot of electronics going into it, and I I still steer steer clear of that when I can. The fun thing is to take one of those people if they think they've got talent or you think they've got talent and put them with a writer, and it's amazing what can come out of it. I mean, you know, I uh, this young girl was um, doing sort of rap type things, and I realized there was a voice in there, and I asked her to just do like a middle section there where she sang. And it was fantastic. And she was thrilled because she'd never thought she was a songwriter. She was working to beats and rhythms and just coming up with lyrics. And uh, I still think at the heart of it all, even if their names aren't as the sole writer, a lot of it is based around a real writer. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like you said, I I honestly wish, you know, I was part of the music industry. I was a, a drummer signed to uh, Universal Records, and honestly, I wish I was just a songwriter. I wish I could just write songs. That's where the money is. You don't have to deal yeah. with any bull crap. You just write songs, and you get paid. 
It's like the best well, job on the planet. Yeah, no, it's it's what I say to people is you know, it earns money while you're asleep. And uh, the scary thing is as well, I meet with a lot of young bands and you know, people that are doing it, they have no clue what it's about. Yeah. You know, is that they register their song and that's it. But they don't know even then they're just losing 50% of their money. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't register as publisher and songwriter, as you know, <laughs> the publisher gets 50, you get 50. Yeah. And so we have... I, said, I mean, the number of times they've told them that. Yeah, You've got we, to get that other 50. <laughs> we signed a bad contract when we signed, we got signed. We signed away 85% of our publishing rights. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's why it took me 15 years to be able to... <laughs> clear all the legal crap so I could re-release it, you know, as oh. our old band, but... And that's why you're doing a podcast yeah. with me today. <laughs> pretty much. You pretty much just signed away my, all of our rights at that point. And it was like, what were you think? But, hey, when you're a young musician and you've got people dangling contracts in front of you going, you're going to be famous, you're like, okay, where do I sign? And then t- two years later, you're looking at your bank account going, why am I broke? yeah i mean i had that conversation with a young artist the other day it's like we we were talking about a contract we were going to offer and i said you totally understand it right she's going yeah where do i sign like hold it so what does this clause mean she went i said you haven't read it she said no but it's great to exactly what you're saying great to get it someone to offer me an agreement and i basically took an hour and a half going through it with her explaining each piece what it meant and i said now take it to an attorney and it was basically, if you don't have a couple of hundred, I'll give you a couple of hundred because I really love you as a writer, but you've got to understand what it's about. And yeah. then I give them reference books because, you know, if they don't understand, it is at the end of the day, hopefully that's why I've kept friends for 30 plus years. If they don't understand, what's the point of making It's the enjoyment gets out of it. I mean, yeah. I enjoy it. That's why, you know, retirement isn't anywhere. That's definitely one thing I learned over the last 20 something years is definitely read everything. At least oh, yeah. read it. <laughs> so and you can... got a friend to read it on top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just it's sign true. your name on anything. And it was it was funny. I just actually had a Zoom call with someone today who was talking about an artist and looking at a contract and he got all these comments and he was reading half a paragraph. So I had to take him to the top. I said, now you can't do that. You get it from the top and refer, it refers to everything that's below it. And it's, so yeah. everyone's a, an amateur attorney. <laughs> and that's why they're still getting in fun. And that's why some people are living on islands with their yachts. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, right. And you know, so you, you own the Allied Artist Music Group, as uh, we've said before. Uh, you have a lot of talented musicians on that label, including uh, our former guest, Rocky Kramer. Who oh, right. we're huge, huge fans of that guy. Uh, what's it like having you know young, talented people like that on your label? It's 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 good and it's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is so incredibly talented as a guitar player. I mean, it's incredibly. Yeah. And the problem is, is that you plan a tour, you plan people seeing him, and people can't see him now. Yeah. And on stage, he's really dynamic, and that that's the one thing I think that you can. Do Zoom, you can do stream shows. You, you can't get that live feeling if you're a guitarist, a solo guitarist more than anything, because people want to just look at what you're doing and, and just feel the atmosphere. And you can't get that over, you know? Do you think we'll ever get back to at least 
being able to go to concerts and things like that? I, don't oh, know. I certainly hope so. I mean, the interesting thing is, though, a lot of young artists, it's helping them. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, it's now a, le- a level playing. Whether you're Taylor Swift or Joe Smith, yeah, there's nowhere to perform. You, you, can ha- you can't be in your bar performing. You can't be in a, 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 an arena. So there's a lot of ways that if the young artists realize that it's a level playing field, yeah. if they play it right and interact with fans, they can build a fan base, which they never could. Mm-hmm. I never really thought of it like that. It is sort of a, a reset to zero kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. And obviously the old ones are living on their fans, but there's so much they can yeah. tell their fans because <laughs> the fans know everything about them. Yeah. Where a young artist can get fans interested in them and actually feel they're taking part in a career. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and there are there are people even during the pandemic who have already gotten famous purely from social media. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. um, Dr. Elvis uh, got famous from doing a cover on TikTok, and it went viral. And now he's on TV everywhere, and he's became famous during the pandemic. The, the girl I was talking about, she uh, uh, did a thing about a joke thing about potato chip, and she had five hundred thousand <laughs> followers overnight. <laughs> And obviously was running out looking for a record deal. See, that's so, the thing uh, within in the online world. Um, I've been told by several people that actually make a living doing things like podcasts and and you know making music online. That all you really need is about ten thousand people, loyal people, to keep you uh, to where you can make a living. And I don't think that's hard to do these days. No, I mean, it, it, artists, they hopefully now are realizing you don't just pick up a guitar and perform at a bar and have all these uh, fans adoring you and feel yeah. they're great. <laughs> and it's now they're having to learn their trade. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you've now got to work at it. Every day of your life, you've got to look at what's happening on social media. You've got to be posting. You've got to be thinking of new things to tell people. And you build your audience by working. And I think that's another good thing that's come out because... It's kind of sad when you see artists that are very average claiming to be that all their life and that one day they'll break through. Yeah. Um, and and it, you know, so I think the other side of it is hopefully it will teach them quicker now to, that it's a business. Well, it there's really so many is. people out there too that offer, that are experts in like things like social media for musicians and things like that. There's so many resources now to where you can understand the algorithms and all that kind of stuff. So if you're really serious about it, it you can do it. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no magic bullet like there used to be. Like, oh, I'm, all we need to do is get signed. We get signed and then everything's gravy. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like it never really was like that then unless there was a ton of money being pushed into you. But now you can do everything yourself. Hundred percent, and you know it's interesting. The older artists are also looking at. So, what do they call the legendary artists? Is a name for them. They're looking at other things. I'm working with Rick Wakeman right now again, and uh, he's come up with a great concept called Rick's Place. A place is spelled like the fish, of course. Yeah, and it's really like a Monty Python show. That's awesome. But it's based all around music. So he'll play a great piece. Then he'll talk about keyboards. Then he'll talk to a producer about things, and then stupid things will happen. But it's a, it's a really interesting that he's devised this whole thing, getting thousands of followers just by um, sort of doing something. He would never have thought of that before. 
who'd have just been on tour and earning what he wants to earn. So yeah. it's nice to see everyone choosing the whole concept. Uh, you had mentioned, did you mention that you were writing a book? Yeah. I mean, people have said I should for years. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And they said, you've got such great stories. And so actually, I'm not writing. I'm giving the stories to Eileen, who we all know. And she's going to, I'm giving them to her out of order. And no one will know but us who they're all about. <laughs> and, and it should be a very fun book. And uh, so she's creating a fictional book, which could be a lot of fun when she gets it done. Because, and I, it's, it's the type of stories that you can tell friends or people when you're out in the bars. And, but it's not the type of stories you can ever, ever. And you know, a lot of these artists say, oh, it'd be great if you put them in the book. But once they see it in the book, they hate it. <laughs> so it's basically true stories, but not. Everyone is a really true story, but one you can <laughs> never tell anyone. You know? Ah, okay. And, uh, <laughs> right. No, it, it's, uh, yeah. So it, it, they'll be, it'll be well worth reading if you just want to, because it's almost like a game. Guess who that was? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, a, a, I mean a, one I can tell you is um, many years ago, uh, yes, we were at the forum. And at that time in L.A., and the whole band was on microbiotic diets even back then, except for Rick. So one day we borrowed and rode his car and went out to a bar to get a steak and a beer. And we're sitting there and all these people are commenting really loudly and rudely about, look at that guy. He thinks he looks like Rick Wayman. He doesn't look at all like him, what an asshole. He's in. And it was hilarious um, because little did they know we drove back through the crowds. <laughs> And it, it, yeah, that was a really interesting because we were laughing about it all the way back. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, Tina Turner stories for us or anything? Or not really on her. She, I mean, she is a sweetheart, and uh, no, no, she was so lovely and she's quiet and nice. And uh, yeah, the thing is, normally you'd be having dinner, and then a waiter would recognize her, and she'd have to become Tina Turner. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, it's a uh, she is one of the hardest working artists around, or, or was back then. And she she worked harder than the, the girls backing her or anybody. And uh, but she was a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah. And that's difficult to be the boss and have a lot of fun. And uh, you know wherever she worked, it was great. And uh, you know initially um, I put her with a guy called um, Barry Marshall, who now martial arts, and he just started his um, agency. And I said, you know, Barry, I told him about it, and I got a, an album released to match the tour. And he put money into the tour, and he lost a fortune on the first tour. But by the end, everyone was rebooking her, and it just went boom through the ceiling. Wow. Because no one had seen her by herself doing a really big show. Yeah. And she's stunning. I mean, no one could match her on stage. That's the and, thing. I, uh, I feel like I missed so many good bands and shows and stuff because I was born in '77. I missed, I missed all the good stuff. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, no, there was a lot of stuff. No, I say thing like I, I saw Elvis, which was funny, and it's like because it, now it's like you saw Elvis. It was yeah. yeah, I was just invited along to see him when he was in Vegas. It was like whoa. And at the time, obviously, you got no clue because it's just mm. you're in the industry and you get people send you their albums, they invite you to the shows. I mean, the unusual thing I did, which is one of the things I always remember, you know, I did the first tour of India in 81. And that was the most fun. I spent a year there. 
because they'd never had a rock tour. They didn't know about staging, about equipment, nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was incredible going around. We had to use cricket grounds and build stages, but they didn't have trusses. So we had to show them how to make a truss and bring samples in. Wow. And amazing people. I mean, thousands. And in Calcutta, we had a huge stadium, but there was a hill. And they reckon for half a mile, cars were up there watching from half a mile away up the hill. Wow. And there's a lot of great stories from there. I mean, I mean, one of the funniest, of course, not knowing anything, they didn't know about generators. So we brought a generator into Germany because we didn't trust their power. <laughs> and this guy was so proud. He said, Saab, don't worry. We have power and you won't go out all night. So we opened in Delhi. And the funniest thing is, one, you suddenly see it's sort of the ground is down. And on the hills, you see the Delhi being blacked out, section oh, by section. <laughs> and he's keeping his word. He kept us going. But at the point that the leads started glowing red in the grass, we, at that point, we said, you've done a great job. We're going to use the generator. <laughs> but uh, that, that's why that will always remain one of the because it's things that you could never see before. It's like things you take for granted. Yeah. They had no clue. So, yeah. It was, so it was fun times for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll cool. always have that too. I mean, the first rock tour ever to visit India. Yeah, I mean, Mrs. Gandhi wanted to keep the kids happy was the thing. It was just uh, at the end, and they, finding the band was the tough thing because they wanted someone that they would love, they could dance to, and it didn't matter if it was a hit band or not. It, it would help because they didn't know. But what right. I did is I used, and you probably don't remember, the OCBs. And it means, it's a Ghanaian group, it means crisscross rhythms that explode in happiness. And it's one of those bands you can't help to dance to. And they loved them. They, we got a local act, but they did an incredible show. And um, one of the best things was in, in Bombay, the crowd started coming over the fences to dance. And the policemen started, went crazy and started to beat them with the lapis, the stick. And I went, I had to go. So I went to the commissioner. I said, Guy, you're going to have a riot if you keep doing that. And he said, What else do you do? I said, Let them dance. They're not angry. They're having fun. And it, it was funny. He just he pointed at me and said, It's on your head. So I just stood <laughs> on stage and went, and they poured in. But what they didn't know is that Osabisa had learned one of their most religious songs called Ragapati. And at the end of the show, the crowd's going crazy and wild. And they did it a cappella. They did that as the last song. And it was like wild. It was just silence, and they all walked out. Wow! So I get yeah, got lucky. But again, I mean, I could go on for hours and bore you stiff. But it's hmm. it's fun moments like that you could never have again. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, a question that I had because we've we've talked about several different uh, musicians from different genres. I mean, and you've been in this industry for a long time. So what is it like having to work with? so many different bands and performers of different genres like for instance if you're working on a soul album and and sort of soul and poppy songs for tina turner and then having to turn around and work on metal and rock albums with with acts like uh, black sabbath it it's all down still to the song it's the way you do the song and in my mind it's like a big wheel keeps on turning as they say it's that it all starts with country then it goes to country rock then it goes to pure rock, then it goes to outrageous rock, then it goes to something that no one had ever heard of, then it comes back to country. Right. Because everyone wants to hear a song again. 
<laughs> so that's the way I look at it is that if you just see that it just slides from one genre into another, that's really what the industries are like. And it's it's keeping an open mind. And, you know, is there's so many different styles and everything. If I like the song, I don't care whether it's hip hop or whatever it is. I like what they just did. If it's too contrived, I don't like it. But there's a lot of really ta great talent, as you know, in almost every genre you think of. But it is interesting. It always goes back to country. I think you, you hit the nail on the head, too, because I think that's the hallmark of a, a well-written song, is if you can hear a song that, you know, you can hear a pop artist do it, and it's like a poppy dance song, but then you hear somebody, another artist do it like in a slowed-down country, uh, you know, or or even like maybe like a, a mid-tempo rock song or anything that kind of, you can pretty much make any kind, any genre out of it. That's just a hallmark of a good song. Yeah, it's all down to construction, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's really interesting when they do that. They take it totally out of kilter. I mean, right now, I have a band which um, called Anime's X. It was a band put together a few years ago. And the idea, it's like well-known metal musicians. Rodi Serzak, John, uh, John Bruno, Michael Cera, all really well-known in the metal business. Mm -hmm. um, did a tour of Japan doing Disney and other songs, metal. <laughs> I want to do that. On Yahoo, all the charts. When the end, it was stadium tour. Um, so basically what we've done over here, we've done Anime's X, and we did Christmas songs, jingle about everything in metal. We put out a single called Anime's in prison. We were too late for everything. But it went up the charts to the 60s, which is ridiculous, in two weeks. And... <laughs> People love it, and we're just about to now go seriously. But we had a tour plan. We were offering, offered a tour, uh, obviously going to Disneyland and other places, and uh, we were actually doing a Broadway show we planned because wow. there's nothing for kids and families on Broadway, or, or nothing for anybody right now. But yeah. if you want to take a family out and spend a 1000 bucks, not everyone can afford that. Yeah. But if we do a fun anime show, 35 bucks a ticket was the plan. And the theaters are dark during the day. So we do an 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, we're out. And then the big show goes on. And it was a really lovely plan, which, would, which was supposed to happen this summer. And of course didn't, but I really want to do that one day because it's like, you know, it, you see little families going around Manhattan and everywhere, bored out of their minds. Because yeah. they really, I mean, and at Christmas time particularly, there's only two or three places to go. It's like Swan Lake, Radio City, then what else do you do? But everything is hundreds of dollars a ticket. So that's the fun. So that's what I'm saying when you're talking about doing different ways. I mean, it, you know, we're doing Beatles and we're doing really weird, beautiful ballads, but ripping them apart. Yeah, right. Likes it. <laughs> well, John, I hope that's something that we can do, uh, you know, once everything's safe. Yeah. Um, I think what Jason's about to say is that we are coming to the end of the podcast. Yeah. Really amazing having you on. Of course, we haven't even scratched the surface of what we could possibly talk about. But uh, before we do get out of here, something that uh, we like to ask our guests uh, about their specific profession. So if, if you had to give a young, aspiring publisher, record producer, a piece of advice, what, what would you want the younger generations of your profession to know? I think the main thing to remember is it, it's a real business, but the uh, number two most important thing is to enjoy it. 
you don't work at it. <laughs> Do yeah. the business, but enjoy every second of it. Then you'll be successful. Great advice. Always do what you love, but still remember it's still a business. (laughs) That's right. People say, when are you going to retire? And it's like, I guess when they put me in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We definitely want to have you back on again uh, later on this year and talk to you some more, but thank you again for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure getting to meet you, sir. That was really fun. And, Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to uh, uh, point people to online or anything? Well, my co- my company is md25.nyc. Okay. And the, at least the outline of the company is there. And then there's a charity foundation called LetMeHelpInc.org. And okay. that shows I do a lot of charity shows. And so have Johnny, as you probably know, puts up a lot of these things for charity. And that's where we're announcing all the uh, concerts we're putting out. Awesome. Um, so what about you, Jacob? Anything you want to throw out there before we leave tonight? Uh, just that everyone listening to this should absolutely please give us a review. That's yes. something that we don't get a lot of. Please give us a review. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can improve. And if you want us to keep talking to fabulous guests like Mr. John Velasco, please head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. And pick a tier. Doesn't have to be a lot of money. Just help us out a little bit. Yeah, and we're and climbing up the ranks. We're climbing up the ranks in the stand-up category on uh, on uh, iTunes. So if you wanna, that's where you wanna leave your uh, your review. Please do that, or even on Spotify, wherever. Uh, just wherever you wanna leave one. We're we're climbing up the ranks, and of course, we still got that uh, best comedy podcast on the earth. So that's something. You know, at least I think so. Jacob's I think mom, it is too, Jason. Jacob's mom likes us. <laughs> yes. My mom, my girlfriend's aunt. That's two listeners, guys. We're, we are climbing very fast. We have at least two listeners. Fantastic. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at uh, openmikerspodcast at gmail.com. We are at openmikers on Twitter and openmikerspodcast on Facebook and uh, patreon.com slash OM podcast. So we're going to get out of here. We will see you guys next week.